0: This is Edward Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our program today dealt with the important subject of climate change and some suggestions for action. There is still time. Our panelists said that Chicago and the Chicago Metro region can prepare for dealing in a positive way with climate change. We have 225 miles of lake shoreline, 545,000 protected areas, a gross revenue product of almost $600 billion. We cover four states, 38 counties, more than 500 municipalities, and 10 million people. Our speakers today included Suzanne Malik McKenna, former commissioner of the Department of Environment for the city of Chicago. She served on Mayor Lori Lightfoot's transition team. Currently... Suzanne Malik McKenna is working with Chicago Wilderness, Contextos, and Audubon Great Lakes. Our second panelist was Donald Wibbles. Don Wibbles is the Harry E. Preble Professor of Atmospheric Science at the University of Illinois. From 2015 to early 2017, Donald Wibbles was Assistant Director with the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the Executive Office of the President in Washington, D.C. He was the White House expert on climate change. We had two additional panelists, Jerome McDonald, who hosts WBEZ's global affairs program, Worldview, and is currently WBEZ Radio's environmental reporter, and the engagement manager for Audubon Great Lakes, Mr. Troy Peters. All of them talked about the need to raise awareness, commitment and then to take action. In commenting on what is happening at various legislative levels, they're very disappointed with what's been happening in Washington with regard to climate change. And for our state of Illinois, they said so far there has been no commitment for improving and expanding solar energy and renewable energy projects of any significance from Governor Pritzker. They hope that he will focus in on this area in the immediate weeks and months to come. He said, Illinois, currently the third leading exporter of energy to other states, but we must be concerned about the effect of the increase of temperature in the Great Lakes and changes not only to our ecology, but to the way all of us live every day of our lives, our children and grandchildren.
1: It gives me great pleasure to introduce our moderator, who will introduce our panelists, Suzanne Malik McKenna. Suzanne?
2: Well, yahoo. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, that's more like it. Thank you for being here today. Um, It's an important topic, needless to say, and I hope you will leave today learning a lot and being motivated to take action. So we're going to get started. (laughs) Enough said. Awareness, commitment, action. We're not going to talk about blame, wring our hands, get all bitter and give up. Ain't no way. We're the Chicago region, damn it. Third largest city in the nation. City of big shoulders. Amazing natural, intellectual, economic, and human resources in this region. This presentation is called Solutions for Action, because there are solutions. The time is right now, and we can reduce the level and severity of impact and prepare for the healthiest region possible. A healthy region is environmentally sound. A healthy region is economically vibrant. A healthy region is one that builds community for those most adversely impacted by climate. Our low income, our underserved, our underemployed. A healthy region is a resilient region, one filled with business, government, civic, and community members, committed and acting to reduce the speed and severity of climate impacts and taking the necessary steps. Action. Uh, um, that means you. So, here's the Chicago region. 225 miles of shoreline, more than 545,000 protected acres. I'm sure Arnold can update us on this. They're going towards 90,000 on their own. A huge gross regional product, four states, 38 counties, 500-plus municipalities, 10-plus million people. Approximately on all of that. The shoreline's shrinking. There's things we can do with that land. The acres can continue to grow and need to grow. How do we reclaim unused land, land that shouldn't be used, and bring back the natural assets that actually can do so much to not only protect our property and our region, but to enhance our region? What is the potential GRP or GDP or NEP for this region if we actually commit to doing the work that needs to be done, which is economically a benefit for this region. Guess what? The term refugees never seems like a term we'd hear here, here in the Midwest, even in the U.S. at all. But we already are starting to have refugees. There's a great book called Rising by Elizabeth Rush, Um, that is beautifully written and heartbreaking at the same time. It speaks to both our coasts, and it speaks to the people who are leaving their homes and turning it over to what it once was and what it needs to be. Natural areas that can help us serve as not only a buffer, but collect the water, help our habitat, which happens to be our habitat as well. So, So how many people will be leaving we know we've got a problem right now economically right but how many people will come here because this is an incredible region it's a vibrant region and will be even more vibrant if we prepare accordingly just in city and cook alone there have been some references to at least 400,000 people that might come here as climate refugees think about the entire great lakes region and beyond So we got a lot of things coming up, and a lot of opportunity. Climate action today has to be based in science, and we have a lot of science. We don't need to study the bejesus out of this stuff anymore, people, right? What we do have is great technology, great thinking, entrepreneurial spirit here in Chicago region that can help us build what we need to build, how we need to build it, and bring up our entire region. Every four to six years, scientists are coming out with more and more high level really well respected research internationally, nationally, and even locally and you 'll hear from Don Wibble's talk about that. But we need to understand that even in this region, climate has an impact not only on our flooding and uh, our buildings, etc on people on people and it 's not just the underserved although they are most disproportionately impacted. It's all of us, and we have work to do in order to bring ourselves to a healthy, resilient region that can grow and prosper. We can do this. We need to understand that 1.5 degrees, which we're going to be talking about today, we're not there yet, but we're getting there quickly, disproportionately impacts people who have the least resources the most impact for those with the least resources. We have to stand with a lot of countries, and we have to stand with the people in our region. Guess what? It's not just a green thing. As a matter of fact, I hate using the word green, but it'll come up a couple times today. We can't help it, but it's not just a green thing. It's another kind of green thing, right? It's dollars. It's economic sense, and there's business that understands it, across our nation, across the world, who are taking advantage of it. Guess who isn't? Enough. This region. We're not taking advantage of the many opportunities for economic benefits by addressing climate the way we should. These are just an example of solar prices. Um, Where is it? There. You know, what it was like in 2010, what's it like in 2020? You know, everybody talks about it's too expensive, and that's malarkey. Because we know, in any economist who might fix me later, because I'll probably use the wrong terms, but oh well, um, you know, demand and supply, right? With increased demand, you can bring down the price. Unit cost price comes down. We just need to not only do what we know, but do more of it. It is not an economic burden to do the right thing. Even our friendly local Hank Paulson thinks so too. And as I said a moment ago, you know, we don't need a miracle. We just need to employ what we have. And we have so many resources, so much knowledge, and so much technology already happening. We just have to use it. We have to invest in it. This is something from a group called Risky Business, Hank Paulson, Bloomberg. They did a report. There's many reports since then. And it's not just in the city, right? It's in agricultural land. It's our roads. It's our highways, etc. Tremendous amount of impact. Tremendous amount of opportunity. So here we are in Chicago. We had this thing called the Climate Action Plan in 2008. You might have heard of it. Um, And we have lower and higher emission scenarios, which Don is going to talk about. So if we continue to go off the rails by not doing enough, we will see, by 2070, 31 degree days of 100 plus degree temperatures. Low-emission scenario, actually having our act together and investing and in acting the way we should, about eight days of 100-plus degree weather. And 30, 90-plus degree weather. And in the high-emission scenario, 30 to the, 90, 90-plus 90 degree weather, yes. Anyway, bottom line, it's not good. But it doesn't have to be this bad. Extreme precipitation. We're already seeing that. And there's so much more data, and Don will speak to that as well. So, we have this goal of greenhouse gas emissions. 25% reduction by 1990 levels by 2020. 80% by 2050. So how are we doing? Well, that looks pretty darn good. We've had some reductions. Let's pat ourselves on the back, shall we? Energy efficiency. We're doing all kinds of great things in this region. We are not doing enough. As a matter of fact, when you look at this, this was a 2015 greenhouse gas emission study done by AECOM for the city, and as you can see, it's not here on the curve, which is where we should be. Okay, We're actually from 32.3 million metric tons to 32.6 million metric tons, so we've gone up from our goal, not down. And there's many things we can do. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on specific formulaic things. You're going to hear from our group. You're going to hear from me about the types of things that can be done. Because there's so much that can be done. And there's great work already happening in this region. And we know, again, how this impacts our daily lives. And a quick example, trees. You know, if you're sitting outside of a tree shade, it's 12 degrees hotter than inside. Okay? Urban heat islands, something we talk a lot about in the city and beyond. Guess what fills in? The green spaces, the vacant lands, the areas along rivers that flood. Those are all huge assets for us. Not challenges, assets that can be utilized to help us with our challenges. Okay. This guy's really a big bummer. And this is happening. This is happening. But we don't see it here. And people kind of get sick of hearing about the polar bear, and it doesn't impact us. It doesn't engage with us. How about a bird? How about a bird? So these birds here, what's the point? Besides being beautiful and awe-inspiring, birds are strong indicators of a healthy region. How? Our habitat, where we live, is interwoven with these birds' habitat. Our trees and plants, our wetlands, woodlands, savannas, prairies, our lakes, rivers, and ponds our street trees, our parks, our boulevards, our back and front yards, balconies, parking lots, roadsides, all those places are home or stopovers for millions of birds that fly right through this area as a critical international migratory flyway. They rely on these spaces, as do the impacts, insects that birds eat, as do the plants the insects eat, as do the microorganisms in our rich midwestern soil that insects eat, If this web of incredibly rich resources is not healthy, our own habitat is not healthy. It is much hotter, air pollution is elevated, our water is polluted. This would be a bummer of a place to call home. But the Great Lakes region will serve as a climate refuge for Americans who are escaping their crumbling homes in search of clean and reliable water. This is the beginning. Great Lakes are 80% of North America's fresh water, 21% of the world's fresh surface water. So how do we know if we're on the right course? We have many tools at our disposal, and our tools cannot be anecdotal or feel good. They have to provide measurable, verifiable data to keep us on track, and an aggressive track we must take. So... Use birds as an example. Again, birds, habitat, human, habitat. We know so much about birds and climate. The Audubon Society took 140 million data points and looked at hundreds of birds um, and, and tried to ask ourselves, how will they be impacted or how are they already being impacted by climate? The impact of changing vegetation, human land use, a whole range of variables that impact their habitat. What they're doing is helping us look at where we're going to be as far as climate and as far as the amount of change that we're going to have. And Don's going to talk about this. Troy is going to be talking about it. But we oftentimes use the numbers 1.5 degrees, 2.2 degrees Celsius, and 3 degrees Celsius. And we need to address our work based on those guidelines and stay here. Here. Instead of here. So there are many threats. That happens to be a piping plover. I hope I'm right. Anybody from Audubon? <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I thought it was. Um, and you might have heard the story on Montrose Beach. There was going to be a huge concert this year. It got canceled. Because the piping plover was nesting. And I think the first clutch didn't make it. But the second did. That is activism, people. We love music, man. We dig it. But we also care about our habitat and our land and the importance that it provides. Many different threats that we see. The level of Great Lakes water, urbanization, cropland expansion, extreme spring heat, droughts, fire, heavy rain, false springs that confuse the birds about when they should be coming and when they shouldn't. 97% of our species could be affected by these different aspects if we get to three degrees warming scenario. Under a 1.5 degree scenario, only 20% of the species will be impacted, but they will be impacted. So we need to understand that this action is not only important for us, it's important for the birds. It's not only important for the birds, it's important for us. So these beautiful birds here, our red-tailed hawk and our barn owl, uh, volo and orbit, uh, are going to be moving on now but we wanted you to say hi. Um, the red-tailed hawk was raised by humans as a juvenile when it fell out of a nest. Don't do that, people. Uh, and they've had this bird since it was four weeks old, and it's an incredible educational opportunity, not only for all of us, but school schoolchildren uh, and people across the region. The barn owl um, orbit has the biggest range of owls across the world, but has been on the endangered list in our region. That speaks to the fact of what we are and aren't doing for our region. I think somebody's going to tell us that that has changed, and I won't take Jerome's thunder, um, but that's good news, but there's still much more work to be done. So, thank you to Flint Creek Wildlife, Don Keller and team. Um, They're amazing, and by the way, they do it pretty much all by volunteers, no government funding. Uh, They have a space in Barrington and on Northerly Island where they're collecting... Um, injured birds and they work with the bird monitoring network bird collision monitoring network and a lot of other great organizations to save birds who hit buildings Thank you for coming. Thank you birds (laughs) So I am really excited for you because you're about to hear from experts Downright fabulous leaders in this region who are going to lay some of this data out, where we are, where we could be, where we prefer to be, and how we get there. I'm going to introduce our three fabulous panelists, and they can be coming up as I do that. Don Wibbles is an internationally recognized climate scientist who's worked in this field for 40-plus years, He is a co-investigator and co-author of the most respected, peer-supported science that is telling us what is truly happening and what can be projected in high and low emission scenarios right here in this region. He's going to set us straight on what's ahead of us, measurable data that we need to use as our indicator of progress, not failure, our measurable data that's going to move us forward in addressing climate. Jerome McDonald is an award-winning journalist, most recently having received the Studs Terkel Award in 2019. He produced, then anchored, Worldview for WBEZ, our Chicago NPR station, for 25 years. Jerome has researched, reported, and and engaged government and business leaders, scientists and community leaders on climate for a long time. Much longer than when the rest of the press dared utter the word climate. We used to look for other words than climate. Because it freaked people out. Because it would turn them away. The hell with that. Thank you, Jerome, for boldly speaking and educating us about climate for so many years. He's now the energy and environment reporter for WBEZ. And lastly, Troy Peters, engagement manager, board member of Audubon Great Lakes. Troy Peters joined Audubon in 2016 as the engagement manager at Audubon. He builds capacity and partnerships for communities to take conservation actions that have a positive impact on their environments and the birds they depend on. Before joining Audubon, Troy managed the efforts of two collaborative organizations bringing diverse arts organizations together to improve cultural equity. Prior to that, he worked with us at the City of Chicago and helped with outreach and engagement for the Chicago Climate Action Plan. Troy holds a BA in Cultural Anthropology from University of Michigan, MA in Social Science from University of Chicago. And he has been working with his team to co-develop programs in my favorite area, the Calumet region, as well as Milwaukee, Waukegan, Gary, Detroit, and other places. So I'm handing it off. No pressure. Seven minutes. Yeah, seven Um, minutes. And remember that yours takes a little while when you click it.
3: Is this where you click?
2: Yep. So you might want to you come want up here. Here Whatever it takes so that you can see your slide. So if you want to stand up, I'll it's stand okay, up. too.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So hi. Yes, I'm Don Wibbles. Um, and thank you all for being here. Wonderful crowd of people. Mayor Burns came up to me beforehand and said I should try to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always a little tentative when I'm around Kevin because the last time we were in a meeting together was at the Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus, and uh, he was uh, in the room already talking to a bunch of leaders from around the Chicago area. As so I came up to say hello, and he said, Don, it's good to see you. Glad you're out of prison. <laughs> so I'm never quite w- what you're to say when, when I'm around here. But, <laughs> but that's Kevin. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, what I'm going to do is give you just a inkling because I was only given seven minutes about uh, what's going on with the climate change. I'm going to focus in on uh, the Great Lakes Assessment that I've uh, led and came out uh, not quite a year ago. Uh, And uh, before that, I was a leader in uh, in many of the national and international climate assessments. I do have one copy of the summaries from the uh, uh, last U.S. National Climate Assessment. I led volume one on the science of climate change in that, and the second volume is on the impacts. Uh, and then today I'm going to talk primarily about the uh, uh, Great Lakes Assessment uh, and uh, and just give you an inkling of what's in that document. I have two copies of that, if anybody would, would like one. Uh, so... See that it's come out? Okay, it's got reformatted. Um, the I don't need to tell you about why the Great Lakes are important. Obviously, it's, the Great Lakes are very important to the people in, the, in both the Midwest and, and United States and in Canada uh, because of the, not only as a water supply, but as an economic engine and many, many other aspects uh, that we really don't have time to talk about today. So let's get to what we're seeing in terms of climate change. Overall in the United States, we've seen about a 1.8 degree Fahrenheit increase in temperature. Now, you may say, well, this is over the last century. Uh, If you go back the last thousand years, there was very, very little change in the world over that, in the temperature of the world during that time. Uh, And so... This change, which has all happened in the last uh, century, is really quite dramatic. In the And we've seen a very similar change, um, uh, very similar change in the world, in the United States as a whole, just ends up in the United States is in the right place to be about the average. But if we look at the Great Lakes, it's also about the same as that. But if we take a, an analysis of the last 30 years, relative to the first half of the last century, we get about 1.4 degrees change. Well, that says most of that change has actually happened in the last three decades. Climate is changing extremely rapidly. That's why Sir David King, of, who, was, who was the science advisor for two prime ministers in the UK, calls this the greatest problem that humanity has probably ever faced. And yet most people still don't get that because we haven't seen the impacts we're going to see. Now, and if we looked across our region, you know, uh, you know, we are seeing impacts, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but not too much. Now, if we go forward, we look at a range of different scenarios for the possible future. It all depends on uh, the driver of those changes that we've seen. It's not nature. It's not the sun. Uh, it is human activities. That's well established in the science. So, in, you know, I, I, I see these estimates well, maybe it's up to half, or maybe it's, you know, some fraction of it is human. No, it's all human. We are not seeing changes that are due to things that are not human. Um, and to a large extent. We're seeing natural variability in the climate system, but I'm talking about the longer-term changes. So we look forward and we, and we project, well, how are we going to further impact um, our, th- this climate system around us? And that uh, depends on our choices for emission of carbon dioxide and methane and some other things, the things that are called greenhouse gases and certain particles that are basically overall having a very significant warming effect on our planet. So we look at a high scenario, which assumes we continue to heavily use fossil fuels. Um, and that's the pathway we're on right now. Um, as of 2019, we're still right on the high scenario. If we, but we also look at these lower scenarios like um, was, you know, was just discussed that, you know, could we reach one and a half degrees? Could we reach a maximum of two degrees? centigrade? Or will we have something much higher? Reality is it's very unlikely we're going to stop at one and a half degrees. It's going to be very difficult to stop at two degrees centigrade. We're more likely going to be something three to five degrees centigrade, probably in, hopefully in the lower end of that range. Now, if we look at the Great Lakes for two different scenarios, uh, Great Lakes region for the two scenarios we looked at here, a low scenario and a higher scenario, then uh, we're talking about a range by the end of the century of uh, three to four degrees versus uh, five and higher uh, uh, degree. I mean, this is, I'm sorry, three to five degrees in terms of Fahrenheit uh, and something much, much higher than that, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 degrees uh, for um, the higher scenario. Now, I mean, you might say, well, why does all this matter? Well, if you, look, if you think about the last ice age, mm-hmm. when we had a 1,000 or more feet of ice covering this region, that was about 10 degrees Fahrenheit colder than now. So we're actually talking about a situation that's comparable to that, but in the opposite direction. And that was a huge difference in our climate this will have a huge difference on our climate and resulting impacts. And it's not just about uh, these average temperature changes. It's really about what it means to severe weather, what it's going to mean to lake levels, what the lakes look like, et cetera. So let's look a little bit more at this. Precipitation. We've seen about a 10% increase in precipitation across the Great Lakes region. Um, we're going to continue to see increasing amounts of precipitation as much as another 10% over this century. Most of that precipitation is now coming as larger events. So uh, we're seeing that decade by decade. You look at the analysis of how large the precipitation are, whether it's snow or or rainfall, that it's coming as larger events, more of it coming as rainfall overall. Um, And that is why we're in the situation we are this year with with the lake levels and the lake levels uh, I'll talk about a little bit more in a second but, uh, but we're really seeing a very large difference particularly in this region in terms of the precipitation patterns other parts of the country have a little bit different type of patterns now if we look at snowfall, snowfall overall is likely to decrease across the region and again this looks at you know, a high scenario and a low scenario. Um, the, uh, but lake effect snows actually could increase. As the lakes have less ice on them and they have more evaporation, that storms can pick up more additional water vapor. That's going to mean uh, the possibility of larger lake effect snows. That could be even a larger problem than it is now. Looking at other aspects of the lakes, looking at summer water temperatures... Uh, They've overall been decreasing, increasing over the last six decades, and that's likely to continue. Uh, Water levels have fluctuated considerably. If you go back to the history of the the observations, we have the Great Lakes. You've seen these large fluctuations from lake levels being uh, quite a bit lower than normal to quite a bit higher, and they're in that situation now. Now, our analysis in the climate assessment was to say, well, that'll probably continue. It really depends on the balance between uh, precipitation amounts coming into the water basin, the Great Lakes Basin, versus the amount of evaporation. And we do not have the definitive study. But I'm beginning to wonder, because of the total amount of precipitation coming, and that most of it is coming in winter and spring, combined with the fact that we're getting larger precipitation when we get precipitation, could mean the high lake levels may become the, the new norm. Um, I know when I gave a, a presentation to the senators, uh, to the U.S. Senate uh, last summer, the senators from Minnesota were uh, extremely concerned about what the erosion they're seeing. And now we're starting to see the same thing about um, people in Lake Michigan uh, and Huron, where uh, the lake, high lake levels are having an impact on property. Looking at uh, changes in ice cover we've been seeing an overall decrease in ice cover that will likely continue duration of ice cover is also decreased and is likely to also continue and this just shows uh, the observations of the uh, trend in uh, uh, ice cover duration uh, finally looking at I, I, you know, the, the report itself is rich in looking at many other aspects, the economic analyses and all kinds of different things I just wanted to mention the eco- eco- uh, ecology of the, of the Great Lakes as well. The Great Lakes overall are warming. We're getting additional issues with uh, oxygen and lake levels, in the lakes, and um, we're starting to see uh, impacts on fish. Uh, warmer water fish are moving further north, and the cold weather water fish are also moving further north. Um, and away from uh, this region. Things like uh, uh, algae blooms have become a very serious problem for Lake Erie and could readily spread into the other lakes as they begin to warm as well. So, in conclusion, allowing the vast, beautiful, natural resource of the Great Lakes to be taken for granted and degraded through human activities, including the effects of climate change, is not an option. We all need the Great Lakes to remain healthy, unpolluted, and productive. Now, I do think that there is a need for a a more um, technological evaluation of the Great Lakes than what we did in this little uh, assessment where we pulled together 18 experts and tried to just say, well, what does the literature tell us right now? we need to really look at the questions about what the Great Lakes water levels are going to be like, what the lakes themselves are going to be like in the future. And we could do that by combining very high-resolution climate modeling studies with hydrology models that really look at Great Lakes um, processes. Uh, I'm hoping there will be a possibility of doing that in in the coming years. Thank you.
2: Um, please, help us. What can we do? We can ride our bikes. Yeah. Do you want this? Do you um, want to come up here or you want to do it from there?
4: Uh, I could. Uh, I'll stand up.
2: Stand on up.
4: The, um, uh, yeah, I, that's me. And um, that was in November. It was the first snowfall, that wacky first snowfall we had, and our... Um, our wbez photographer ran out to to take pictures of people in the snow and things like that and they came back and they put a bunch of pictures on the website and um and then about three o'clock in the afternoon somebody came over and said hey is this you <laughs> and they, they had put me one of the wacky guys uh, riding his bike um in the snow uh, I've also been on W. Uh, I was also on Channel 2 once, and, and absolutely no one saw me, but it was fun. And my bike is out front. It's, it's on, uh, it's the one with the WBEZ news sticker uh, on a pole out in front of uh, this institution. Um, and I, say, I mention this not as a point of pride or anything, but. Uh, there's been a really nice thing that's happened in the 20 years I've been riding through the loop every day at rush hour it used to be just me and the bicycle messengers and now it's me and everybody it's people for of all walks of life of all ages of all colors walking around and going through uh, riding around with me even in the middle of winter I've got some companions now out there in the streets and I I It's been incremental change over the last 20 years, and I just hope for more. Uh, You know, I want to get to a place where we're all out of our cars and and doing, you know, things without our cars. And, um, you know, in Europe, uh, when Emmanuel Macron goes to Denmark, he has to take a a bike ride around the city with um, the Prime Minister of Denmark because that's what they do. That's how they show that they are men of the people. And it's also a really good way to get around. So uh, I want to get to a place where we are all escorting each other around and our politicians are getting on bikes and showing that they are men of the people on their bicycles and women of the people. Um, I I wanted to say, you know, after hosting a show for a long time, I wanted to do climate and environment just to hold a mirror up to us and to see where we're at and see what good things we're doing and see what things we can really improve upon on. Uh, Oddly enough, the first thing I did was about extinctions. Um, I, you know, I'm, concerned about the billion things the UN is going says is going to extinct I thought well there's got to be some some stuff going extinct around here that we should know about and the uh, the Illinois Endangered Species Protection Board I knew that they update every five years their endangered species list I went down there in November to see the finalization of this update they scant they, they have people there these people are all volunteers botanists um, all theologists they all go out and uh, figure out what's going on, and, um, you know, one of the bright spots this year was the barn owl coming off the list. The barn owl was a charter member of the list. It was um, in the, throughout the Midwest, we were killing this bird that is, uh, you know, prospers all over the world, and um Uh, But some of the folks on the Endangered Species Protection Board, one from the Nature Conservancy, wrote up a recovery plan for the barn owl in Illinois because he could see it happening around. Um, uh, We were killing it by monoculture and DDT and things like that. And uh, it was a pretty simple recovery plan. They also needed places to live. The number of barns in the state is dramatically down from all the metal boxes, so they just started putting up barn owl houses. And the uh, Illinois Audubon put up a bunch of barn owl houses, and they uh, prospered because they mate like crazy. I don't know if you know, these things are demons. They they, they are sexually mature at under one year. Then they start laying like eight or nine eggs at a time, They'll, unlike other raptors, which are like one or two. And, then, uh, and they mate the whole time they're, they're breeding. Uh, they're, they're nine times a night. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's <is>
2: crazy. <laughs>
4: So, so, and then, then then the little babies, they fly like crazy all the way across um, the country to find new places. So they'll go to Virginia, they'll go to the Dakotas to find a new place to live. So, and we were killing these things, you know, because they didn't have any mice and they were poisoning them and they didn't have anywhere to live. So uh, it was a pretty easy fix. Um, I, I got to talk about some other stuff. I didn't even mean to talk about that, but those barn owls really get me going. All right, what's what's the next slide? I didn't even do this. Um, I can't see it. Oh, it's Evanston. Great. One of the things. I'm really interested in... When I, when I hold up this mirror to our community, I want to uh, see people who are doing great things. And I think Evanston's been doing a great thing with their Climate Action and Resilience Plan. And uh, if you haven't seen it, take a look at it. They're doing things like talking about net-zero greenhouse gas emission building standards. They're going to... Um, yeah, uh, update their building code in 2020 and require net zero for new construction by 2030. They're phasing it in. They're doing emergency preparedness. They're doing zero waste initiatives. Uh, I, I think a lot. I think there should be more discussion about net zero and zero waste initiatives. The entire province of Ontario is doing a, a zero waste thing. Thank you for getting us going on plastics. Scott Wagstaff is here, um, and that is a fine thing to get going on. Um, They're they're even talking about equity and things in their climate action and resilience plan. Uh, Passive survivability was a phrase I had never heard before, but it's about what happens when there is no power and how long can you live in in your place. Um, So I I am hoping to do in the coming months... A survey of the suburbs and just see where everybody is at because I think the city of Chicago gets some scrutiny and it sets some goals and there's things happening but most of the people in the region live in the suburban areas and here's a town of 70,000 that really has it going on and I know that there's other bright spots out there there's other people who have things going on and I know that uh the Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus, the Greenest Region Compact, is doing a good job with the SoulSmart designation, and we are now the nation's leader in SoulSmart designation, which is where you, um, you make it easy to get permitting and inspections for solar energy and kind of standardize things. So that is a great thing to be leading in, and hopefully we can get a lot more of that going. So I, I want to find out what's going on in the suburbs and encourage the, I think, pent-up energy that is there in the suburbs to do more. Um, There's some of the organizations that are uh, helping out. Here is implementing guiding principles. I'm going to go on. There's Oh, there's their... Look at that grid. They're very serious about their uh, climate action goals. 50% diversion of waste by 2025. That's serious. And then... uh, Net zero, carbon neutral by 2050. Um, so here's our Illinois policy. I should wear my glasses when I do this. Um, you know, I just want to say something about what's happening right now in Illinois. Uh, obviously, we're at a pivotal point with our energy policy. Um, and, you know, I've been. Um, you know, there's a, states are so important. Um, when it, Iowa has 25% renewable energy for re- a reason and Indiana has 90% coal for a reason, uh, we have the ability to make the changes we want in Illinois and get the kind of energy cluster that we want. Um, it, the hard part is, um, you know, the people who control our energy policy are, are sometimes kind of fixed on the way that they wanted to do things. And, you know, you can see this playing out in Davos. You can see this playing out in Washington. You can see this playing out here in Springfield, in the, in this place. We have uh, people who have controlled energy policy for a long time and have shaped it uh, in legal and illegal manners, it turns out. So we're in a spot now where we've got all... all all this energy behind uh, the Clean Energy Jobs Act. We've got a lot of energy behind Path to 100. We've got these ideas out there. And um, there, I think, are are new opportunities in this legislative session. It seems like we could craft something that would be really good for this region. And I hope we do. These are... These are this is the Future Energy Jobs Act, that, that what we passed before um, to get these things going, and they're uh, things that create jobs. The Path to 100 group uh, created a very nice interactive slide. I hope you checked out. I was impressed when I went to it, and all the jobs created all over the state by um, by the Future Energy Jobs Act. There's a clean energy. 100% renewable, 100% renewable by 2050. Why, why, that seems doable. I think we should do that as a state.
2: <laughs>
4: There's the slide. There's a the little slide from uh, the uh, showing all the new projects. And that's, uh, that's a terrific thing. We should build on that because really we have like 2% solar. It's 1 or 2% solar. What is our, our goal for, for the state is 25% according to FEJA, renewable energy by 5 years from now and we're at 8. So we're in a pickle. Um, you know, I think uh, you want me to say something about our mayor, our, our governor? Um, you know, our governor hasn't committed to any of the existing legislation that uh, is out there and there is a lot of things to negotiate here. There are, I'm sure some of you are familiar with capacity markets or reforms that are going on. The federal government uh, is asking us to pay more for, um, for dirty energy uh, through a federal ruling. And uh, I think that's the simplest way to put it. And um, we could pull out of that if we have to in this session. And the Clean Energy Jobs Act provides a way to do that, create our own capacity market here in this area. Um, we, you know, capacity markets are meant for kind of excess energy when you really need it most, and you pay for the providers to get it. Um, we've got plenty of excess energy here right now. Um, we are the third leading exporter of energy among states. I read that fact somewhere. It's pretty interesting. Um, so, I think we could, we could do a lot more. I would love to know what the governor is saying right now. He is speaking in Springfield. I am, mostly, he's been offering kind of little word salads about what we're going to do. But it should, we're going to, we're going to do something, and now would be a great time to uh, engage and find out. Um, oh, I should say thanks? No. <laughs> no? no? Should I wind up? Um, I thought it you know what did the what are the other things I just uh, did I did the birds um, i i 'm so happy that the birds are here because I, I one of the things I want to do in my reporting is connect people a little more to nature and do some more fine nature stuff and there's some people from the field museum here, and I went out and I uh, talked with them about their 40 years of picking up migratory birds and measuring them and finding out that they are shrinking from climate change. That was a really cool study that happened because of the diligence of people at the Field Museum. And um, it was carried all over the world. People are interested because it's, you know, definitively shows how we're impacting our animal world just without even trying. We're shrinking our animals. Um, So, Thank you. Uh, So that's what. That's what. Let's connect with nature. Let's be good with nature. And uh, thank you very much. We're going to have questions in a little bit, but first, let's hear about the birds.
5: Uh, Thank you, Jerome. Uh, Thanks to all of you for coming today and um, thank you to the City Club for hosting this event. Uh, I'm here on behalf of my colleague Karina Ruiz. Uh, She was regrettably uh, pulled away from the event today uh, with the death in the family. Uh, So our thoughts and prayers go out to her and her family. Um, I'm also wanting on behalf of Karina to uh, thank our Wild Indigo community partners uh, for being here. I'll speak in a little more detail about some of those later, but I also wanted to give a shout out uh, to a few uh, of our outstanding volunteers who are here uh, our long time wild indigo co- uh, community docent Anayansi Ricketts is here um, some outstanding Audubon volunteer stewards Samuel Long Sherry Sweeney and Pat Hayes are also here so thank you all Um, As we've heard, and I won't go into it too much, Audubon's new climate report, Survival by Degrees, illustrates how two-thirds of North American birds are under threat uh, of extinction, at risk of extinction from global temperature rise. That's 389 species at risk. Despite this doom and gloom, uh, Audubon's research also shows that there's still time to act to minimize the impacts of climate change on birds, other wildlife, and people. Uh, we can check global If we can check global temperature rise at 1.5 degree increase, uh, then nearly half of the birds under threat can be will no longer be in such peril. But in order to keep within that warming scenario, we'll have to work collaboratively and decisively to address the root cause of climate change and curb greenhouse gases. One, oops, I'm supposed to be doing this. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Yes, one need look no further than Lake Michigan to see the tremendous uncertainty climate change is creating uh, for us locally. Um, We've seen six-foot changes in lake levels in just the past seven years. Historically, cycles of high and low lake levels uh, would change over a 25-year interval. We've seen even in the last two weeks a handful of public beaches lost. That's why coastal resiliency is uh, already very critical. Softening our shorelines to their natural states uh, with habitats like dunes and wetlands uh, can minimize flooding and other impacts from dramatic lake-level changes. But to do that, we have to build... uh, To to do that, it's going to take a lot of people to understand, care deeply, and take action. In taking action, we have to put the onus on ourselves to build awareness at the grassroots level and then connect ordinary people uh, to civic leaders and decision makers. In September, Marnie Urso, pictured there, uh, our policy director, organized just such a connection, taking Republican Congressman David Joyce uh, on a bird walk in his Northeast Ohio district, uh, along with leaders from local Cleveland area Audubon chapters, uh, they discussed the importance of federal funding for local conservation, as well as the threat that climate change poses to our region. After this walk, Congressman Joyce uh, signed on as a co-sponsor of the Better Energy Storage Technology Act, or BEST Act, uh, an important piece of um, beginning to reduce our energy our energy uses. Uh, this type of action exemplifies the tremendous opportunity we have to build broad coalitions across political divides in order to improve our future outlook. Um, just as we have to educate and engage our leaders across the political spectrum, we also have to work to engage a broad range of individuals at the grassroots. Uh, This includes communities of color that have been historically excluded from environmental efforts. These communities are more likely, as Suzanne already mentioned, to be impacted by climate change, in part because they've already been impacted by various environmental injustices. Those who live in neighborhoods with poor soil, air, and water quality, already know a lot about environmental impacts. In these communities, we want to give voice to that knowledge and build their awareness of the environmental actions that can positively impact local natural areas and their community health. Uh, in the Great Lakes, Audubon works towards this end uh, through our Wild Indigo Community Engagement Program. The program is a means to interpret the work of our conservation and science teams while providing opportunities for community members to engage in accessible outdoor recreation. Environment education, environmental education and local stewardship. We know that ultimately people fight for the things they care about, so Wild Indigo works towards creating experiences that will build comfort, awareness, and emotional investment in the natural habitats we share with birds and other wildlife. To build on those types of connections, we are critically dependent on our community partners to help develop resonant events. Uh, but every partner group has a different experience with nature, and in these events, Wild Indigo staff build on our partners' existing knowledge, interests, and experience levels. Uh, in some cases, we work with partners like Family Rescue, a domestic violence agency on the southeast side, uh, organizations uh, who, have, who are new to environmental work but have a strong sense of their constituents' concerns. In these cases, we work with partners to identify how our nature-based activities can answer their needs. Family Rescue wanted, in this case, to expose the mothers they work with uh, to local opportunities that would be good for their children. Working together together with their staff, Wild Indigo developed events that exposed participant families to recreation and education opportunities in local parks and forest preserves. these events incorporated opportunities for health and wellness through group therapy sessions uh, for the mothers in the relaxing natural settings. One participant mother expressed her profound sense of ease at the, in the uh, profound sense of ease uh, in being at nature and away from the triggers at home. Further, she was grateful to have found options for her children to safely have a blast running, jumping, and exploring at little or no cost. In other cases, we work with partners like uh, El Valor Family Services. El Valor is one of the largest community education centers in Chicago, and through a long-standing partnership with the U- U.S. Forest Service International Programs, El Valor has incorporated high-quality nature-based education and stewardship into their youth summer camps and adult intellectual uh, into adults with intellectual disabilities programming. Uh, With El Valor, a group with substantial conservation knowledge focused specifically on monarch conservation, wild indigo staff built on that existing knowledge to make cultural connections to birds while exposing program participants to new educational opportunities uh, through taking part of community science and monitoring. By meeting participants where they're at uh, using nature-based activities to answer partner needs and finding a way, finding ways to engage participants in environmental action, uh, broad-based partnerships will lead us towards building community resiliency uh, for the changes global temperature rise will bring. Specifically, working to engage partners to learn about the actions, in, uh, like bird monitoring, we will recruit a new generation of participants uh, to take part of programs like Climate Watch and. The Christmas bird count. Uh, Observations from these projects have been the data backbone of our climate reports thus far and going forward and with substantial collective effort uh, they'll help us to monitor the progress we make towards curbing the worst impacts of climate change for birds and our communities. Thank you very much.
2: Ed, you have to let me wrap up really quickly, and I promise I will. Um, I'm not going to blame it on anyone for talking too long. But anywho, um, so just quickly, we have big-picture regional opportunities here to fix our challenges in a way that makes an economic benefit. Our highways, one thing, just think of one thing. Instead of petroleum-based, there's recycled plastic. There's highly reflective There's natural areas along the side that capture our water. We have to capture our imagination and use the right technologies and invest in the things that we know will help us with adaptation and resiliency. The Greenest Region Impact is part of Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus. These are tools that you can use. The B Corporations have tools. And the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals today is announcing a tool that businesses can go on and look at how you can make your business more sustainable. Please use that tool. It's awesome. I'm going fast in case you can't tell. Um, Birds. I promise there's an important part about birds. So I'm just going to use this. There are models, the Audubon model. You can go online. You can put in your zip code. You can pick out a particular species. It'll tell you all about what's happening in different scenarios. Most importantly, what you can do to help those birds. And it just gives you these scenarios. Stop freaking out. Okay? Stop competing. Help each other. Find your strength and work together. Whether you're a business, a nonprofit a funder, anybody, find your strength, work together. There's a lot we can get done. Thank you very much. Don't
1: Don't go away, Suzanne. And if anybody has a question, oh, Shelby? Sure. Okay. Give us a little break. We'll get you out of here. By 1.30 at the latest, some over there too. which means we're breaking one of the rules of the city club, but blame it on me. Okay. Hey, this is from Alderman Waggis Pack. Don't rest easy. Anyone can handle it, but you could too. Susan Malik McKenna drafted the first Chicago Climate Action Plan over a decade ago. What is Chicago doing today? as a city and regionally, on all these issues to renew the climate action plan. Go at it,
2: gang. I'm just going to say not enough, obviously. Um, There has been work done with the previous administration, and there's a commitment from the new administration. Um, Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning is putting together a major climate action effort that will help municipalities in partnership with the Greenest Region Compact with Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus. As far as a plan, a strategy, an aggressive set of things going on, we ain't got it. We need it. And I think it's not just relying on our mayor, um, not just relying on our government or our county presidents. It's all of us and pushing for it and saying it needs to happen.
1: Okay. Um, Gentlemen... How about handling this question? We'll give Suzanne a little break. All of us should be concerned about the effects of climate change. Yet people aren't going to stop flying on airplanes or driving cars. What are three practical things each one of us can do to help mitigate the effects of climate change? Don, you want to give us your list of three?
3: Sure. I don't know if this is on or not. Um, The uh you know, when I give a public talk about climate change, I, I have a whole page. There's like 20 items there, that things that people can do. The most important thing you can do is talk to your representatives in the government and leaders. Get them to move on this. We've got to have action. And how you vote, of course, makes a difference there. Um, but also, there are things we can be doing individually that make a difference. Um, you know, put solar in your house if you can, Uh, but, you know, more efficient appliances, uh, um, something as simple as using um, more efficient light bulbs. Um, Look at how you're using energy. It saves you money. It's a win-win for you personally, but it also means that we require less fossil fuel burn. So uh, there's a whole range of other things. Uh, Getting more efficient vehicle as as you look at at that. you know, uh, a plug-in hybrid or something.
4: I, I'll weigh in on that, that question, too. Uh, like, yeah. I, I totally... Electric cars are a thing. Let, they're only 4% of people bought electric cars in Illinois last year. That's great. I think we can do a little better. They're great. They're, they're better cars. Um, I've had one for three and a half years. I've replaced the rear windshield wiper. That is the only maintenance I've done. Um, the, um, I wanted to say, don't eat meat. I mean, it's, it's, if you want to do something, don't eat meat. Uh, and I question the supposition that we have to do as much flying as we do. I have taken airplane rides, but I haven't taken one for three and a half years. I don't mind... Uh, kind of readjusting my life, my wife and I just decided. Well, we can vacation here in the Midwest and have a great time. We we went to Lake Superior, had a great time. Uh, we don't really need to, you know, be on the other side of the planet to have a good time. There's a lot of great stuff right here. So I've been trying. Jerome,
1: you could take your bike and go out to Arnie Randall's Cook County Forest Preserves. There's some wonderful bike trails there. Don't you think I do it? And uh, okay, try. Would you like to us? Uh,
5: yeah. um, One, I just want to point everyone to the form that's on everybody's chair. It has several actions that you can take. Um, The main one of which that we're pushing is, uh, just as Dr. Wobbles suggested, is really uh, make sure to communicate to our policymakers uh, the importance that this issue has and the need for solutions as soon as we can get them. Um, The second thing is stay involved with... uh, with various conservation activities here in the region, green projects, um, restoring natural habitats, sequester carbon, they, pr- they provide resiliency. Uh, so those are collective things we can do. The third I would say is we can't do this alone uh, or even with the choir that may be in this room. We have to connect with co- groups that are not here and are not typically connected. And so that means um, and sometimes that groups who have been, who feel a way about not having been involved and so we have a sense of we have to have a sense of urgency but we have to um, have the kind of patience to build those relationships and meet people uh, at eye level so that we can
1: try great lead into this next question it's from Heidi Graham she's with the League of Women Voters which I believe is celebrating their 120th anniversary this year let's give a big round of applause Very direct question: Which carbon pricing bills are you supporting this upcoming legislative session?
5: Um, I'm actually going to defer that question to my colleague Marty Urso, who's kind of. Okay, you're
1: punting to Marty. Marty, quick answer. Uh, Did you say the Clean Energy Jobs Act? Okay, anything else? There's information on the card. Okay, everything's on the card. Good. (laughs) This is from City Club member Mike Ripani. Where are you, Mike? Right over there. You know him, huh, Don? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Aren't there emerging technologies that can reverse the adverse effects
3: of climate change? So it means... So if you get into adverse effects, then you're trying to respond to that. Then you're talking about what is called geoengineering. And there are ideas out there, none of which have been well-tested, evaluated, uh, and I have grave, grave concerns about any of those. Let's say we put uh, particles in the upper atmosphere so they reflect sunlight that cools the earth, but then it starts affecting plant growth on earth and affects fish and our, uh, wildlife of various sorts, including birds and you know, we wouldn't want that or it affects the monsoon hitting India or Southeast Asia we wouldn't want that we don't understand those things well enough so before we think about anything related to that type of geoengineering um, where we're trying to change the climate in a different way I think we need to be really careful about dealing with, about trying to trying to correct Mother Nature through something we've already done to Mother Nature. So yeah,
4: I will say, you know, Microsoft saying they're going to put a billion dollars into this kind of thing, it's crazy. I, I just decarbonize.
3: Just give us the billion dollars. We'll buy some electric buses for this town or something. There, there are some approaches developing to remove carbon from the atmosphere. That's that's fine, and that's you know. Uh, you can do part of that through forest, reforesting, but you can't do all of it. So if you can develop that technology and it's economic efficient enough, then great. But but be very careful about you, Mr.
1: Okay, we've got uh, several questions from CMAP, the folks at Metropolitan Planning Council, and they're going to be speaking at the City Club later this spring. So they're out here in mass. <laughs> This is from Audrey Wenink. Audrey, where are you? Okay. I apologize because I can't read all your printing. Our state's GHG, I believe, target is to get to. Okay, thank you. We both went to the U of I, but he was on the science side of campus, I was on the LAS side of campus. Green Street. Green Street. That was the division, the Mason Dixon line. Our state's GHG target is to get to 1990 levels by 2020. Are we going to achieve that? No. Okay. Um, Peter Cunningham. For years we have been trying to scare people into acting on climate change. What if we provided an economic incentive to motivate them?
4: Subsidies work. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
1: They've
4: yeah. worked all over the place. Uh, it is one solid piece of
1: evidence. So wh- where would you start, Jerome?
4: Uh, I would subsidize solar. I wouldn't lose the subsidies on electric cars. I wouldn't... Uh, uh, transportation of all sorts. I would sub- I would Free busing. How about free free transportation? There's uh, a lot of talk about that.
1: Okay, Troy. Any comment? And Don.
3: Well, I, I did a paper with an economist on carbon tax that where the where the proceeds then go right back to the people, and um, that would certainly be another incentive towards. Getting us to switch away from carbon fuels. My okay. friend in the front said,
4: "Subsidized permeable pavers."
1: Yeah. I think that would be fun. Oh, well, that's a good thing. We need to drop it in. Yeah. Justin Keller, with CMAP. Where are you at, Justin? Okay. By the way, Justin, I noticed you checked. You're not a member of the City Club. <laughs> We're still going to use your question. Fifty bucks. You become a member with all the power and privileges that I have. Okay. Which are limited. Suzanne mentioned climate refugees coming to our region because of our abundant water resources. But are those supplies safe? What are the potential climate impacts to our water supply?
3: That is something we do address to some degree in the... uh, uh, the assessment, the Great Lakes assessment. Um, there, are, there are many parts of that to be concerned about as, uh, as the climate continues to warm and change. Uh, but I, I think this region has potentially less of an issue with that than other parts of the country. So when we talk about refugees as uh, the south becomes, south and west become much warmer, um, uh, I get asked all the time, what about all these people leaving the Midwest? Well, I, my answer is that wait 30 years, they'll all be back.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you, Don. Suzanne, this is for you, and then you can have your 15 seconds, whatever. Um, this is from Josh Ellis with CMAP. There's no one no, at CMAP no, this afternoon.
2: Um, oh, the planning council, council, sorry. We're clarifying.
1: Absolutely, thank you. I apologize.
2: You're welcome, Josh.
1: But this question is directed to you. If the Lightfoot Administration to, were to undertake a new climate action plan, what about goals, process, implementation? Should be, they be the same or different from the 2008 effort that you led?
2: Um, I think that we have a lot more information since 2008 not only about what's happened with climate, but with technologies that have occurred, um, some really good things that have occurred, like more energy efficiency, etc. So I think, again, I think the answers in there are not very different than what we would say now. But I think we're going to need to ask ourselves what has happened during this time um, there have been some work on greenhouse gas emissions I'm not sure there's been a lot of inventory on what's happened across the region and it's not just the city we need to be thinking regionally um, so I think there's a lot there but we're going to need to do some inventory we're going to have to see what's going on um, and not spend three years doing it okay, now, now I'm on okay I on. get my 15 seconds woohoo okay Take Oh, I get 30 seconds. All right. Um, I don't want people to forget that you have this at your table. We want you to be action-oriented, and it's not that hard to do. Okay? So thanks to Audubon Great Lakes for putting that together. Dean Fisher, who is the president of the board. Um, This is a great quick thing. Um, We talk about light bulbs and things like that. Notice I did not. Okay? There's lots of things you can do. There's more in-depth things you need to do now. And part of that is being an ambassador um, and... You know, being active. And so, how to stop freaking out? Um, I stole this from the New York Times, Emma Harris, two Sundays ago. Ditch the shame. Focus on systems and not just yourself. Define what your role can be. Support an effective group. There are so many in this room. I've mentioned some of them. Some have spoken, like MPC and CMAP and FIELD. Um, Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus, there's so many here. And there are so many brilliant people in this room. Joyce Coffey with Climate Resiliency. Adele Simmons, who's been a leader for so long, right? There's so many people here who know what need to be done, need to come together. And businesses and the rest of you who aren't doing work right now, find out what you can do. It's all here. It's here. It's on the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. It's on the B Corp. Um, and I think there's a lot that you can take take advantage of. So support an effective group. Know what you're fighting for, and what you're fighting against, and go get them.